You are listening to a sermon from First Christian Church of Van Alstine, Disciples of Christ, located in Van Alstine, Texas. We pray that this message blesses you and gives you comfort and hope in Christ throughout the week. Now, please enjoy this message from Dr. Doug Bull. Today's scripture passage tells the story of a, a rich young man who encountered Jesus. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Garrison Keeler and one of his Lake Wobegon stories tells the story of a man named Clarence who went to the Lake Wobegon Lutheran Church. And uh, he was sitting in the service and he kind of checked out early. I know no one in our congregation does that, but he kind of checked out early and um, he decided he was going to get his offering ready so he would be ready when the offering was collected a little bit later in the service. And he pulled his wallet out and he recognized he didn't have any cash. So he pulled his checkbook out and he wanted to make a donation because he almost had a heart attack that week and he knew the deacons would count the offering after service and he wanted them to know he was very, very generous. So he was making out his check and he noticed the woman next to him was kind of eyeing him and so he put his checkbook in the hymn though so she wouldn't know he wasn't paying attention. So he's just kind of half paying attention, he's writing out a check and he tries to tear it Uh, discreetly and not make a lot of noise. And then later when the offering plate came by, he very proudly put his check in the offering for $30, and then he passed the plate, and as she took the plate from him, he saw his check and realized instead of 30, he'd written 300. Now what is he going to (laughs) do? He had the thought, well, he could go downstairs after service and tell the deacons, well, I made a mistake, I didn't really want to be that generous, but that would look bad. But he didn't have $300 in his checking account, so he was thinking, well, maybe the kids and I can eat beans and bread all month. Garrison Keeler makes the point at the end of his story that in that moment, the man was fully alive for the first time all day because even though it was inadvertent, for the first time in a very long time, he had put God first. (laughs) Why do we get anxious when we talk about money in the church? It creates anxiety, but yet Jesus talked about it more than He even talked about faith, more than He talked about prayer, more than He talked about communing with God. The scripture passage I just read tells of an encounter that Jesus had. And it is in all three of the synoptic gospels. Now, some of Jesus' encounters are in only one gospel. Some are in two gospels. But a story that is in three of the gospels 
carries an important message. It's so important that three of the Gospel writers included it in what they wrote. Now, one of the Gospels identifies that a rich young man encountered Jesus. And one of the other Gospels identifies it was a rich young ruler. For our purposes this morning, I'm going to refer to him as a rich young man who came seeking Jesus. What are the lessons we can learn from this encounter Jesus had with a rich young man? First, sometimes enthusiasm is not enough. It's important for us to note in this biblical story how the man approached Jesus, but also how Jesus responded to him. The rich young man raced up to Jesus and flung himself at Jesus' feet. Now, that image is amazing in and of itself. A rich man, an aristocrat, fell down at the feet of the penniless prophet from Nazareth who was on his way to becoming an outlaw. The young man said, good teacher, and immediately it seems as if Jesus throws cold water on him. Jesus said, no flattery, don't call me good, save that word for God only. It appears as if Jesus wanted to stifle this man's unbridled enthusiasm. And there's a lesson there for us. The man was caught up in a moment of unbridled excitement. And it's clear that Jesus, in essence, was saying to him, slow down, think about what you're doing and what you're saying. Jesus recognized he was caught in an an emotional swirl. Jesus tried to calm him down and let him be thoughtful. Unbridled enthusiasm can sometimes carry us through the doorway to faith. But very rarely can it carry us across the finish line. For that reason, Jesus wanted His followers to think about their faith, to think about what they believe, and to calculate what the cost of real commitment would be. There's a a rural area in Alberta, Canada. Just outside of town, there are two ranches side by side, and there are two fences that are exactly two feet apart. There were two old farmers Paul and Oscar, and years ago, Paul wanted to build a fence so he could graze his cattle out in the pasture, and so he went to Oscar and suggested that they split the cost of the fence, and Oscar said no, he had no interest in doing that. Well, Paul needed a fence to be able to graze his cattle, so he built the fence, and a little bit later, Oscar says to Paul, well, I see we have a fence now. Paul says, what do you mean we? I had the property line drawn, and I put the fence exactly two feet inside my property line. So I own some land on the other side of my fence. And if any of your cattle set foot on my land, I will shoot every one of them. Oscar believed he would do it. So a while later, when Oscar wanted to graze his cattle, he needed to build a fence for himself on his property. And so he built a fence. And so now there are two fences exactly two feet apart from each other. Oscar and Paul are no longer with us. But we have their fences as a monument to their stubbornness. What is the real cost 
of some of our actions. What is the real cost of not putting God first? A second lesson I want to suggest. Sometimes respectability is not enough. This biblical story conveys the Christian truth that respectability alone is not enough. Jesus quoted the commandments to the young man. And these form the, the, the foundation for a good moral life. And the man, without hesitation, said he'd kept them all since he was very young. Now, it's interesting to note that with one exception, they are all negative prohibitions. So it's as if the man was saying, I've never done any harm to anyone else. And that might have been true. But the young man missed Jesus' point. The question was, and the question is today, what good have you done? And the question is even more pointed for this young man because he was so wealthy. With all of your wealth, what good have you done for others? With all of your wealth, what have you done that represents a spirit of generosity and compassion? Now, the young man was focused on not doing wrong. And that's what respectability focuses on. But Christianity focuses on doing good things, not just preventing ourselves from doing bad things. I always get tickled when wealthy celebrities fight over money in public. <laughs> a number of years ago, Kenny Rogers, the well-known country music star, was going through a very public divorce. And in court, his ex-wife, soon-to-be ex-wife, said, there is no way I can find a good house with tennis courts and a suitable pool for $1 million. And that was 30 years ago. Imagine how hard it is today to find a good house for $1 million. And when Michael Douglas, son of Kirk Douglas, Hollywood royalty, when Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones got married, they sent out wedding invitations, and on the invitation it said, no presents, only money will be accepted as gifts. Like two Hollywood stars need more money. Yogi Berra once said, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. <laughs> I want to share with you what George Carlin once said. George Carlin was a comedian. He says, stuff is important. You've got to take care of your stuff. You've got to have a place for your stuff. Everybody's got to have a place for their stuff. That's what life is all about, trying to find a place for your stuff. That's all your house is, a place to keep your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. <laughs> now that's one perspective. I'm going to contrast it with a different perspective. Coretta Scott King was once asked where she got the dream that kept her going. She said it came from a quote at a commencement exercise in 1850. Here's the quote. Be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. It is not enough to just be respectable. I read about a father who has two daughters, and whenever a young man comes over to take his daughter out on a date, he'll take the young man into his den, and he'll close the door so it's just the men having a man-to-man -man talk. 
And he tells this young man, he says, you know what, I've got a, a fancy poor sports car in my garage. If I let you borrow my Porsche, you'd take care of it, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, sir. You would treat it in a very respectful way, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, sir. You wouldn't want me to hear about you squealing the tires on my Porsche, would you? Oh, no, sir, I would never do that. And then the father gets right up close to the young man's face. I want you to know, he says, my daughter is infinitely more valuable to me than my Porsche, and I wouldn't want you to treat my daughter with any disrespect either. Well, by now the young man's wondering why he didn't ask some other girl out. <laughs> and he always brings the daughter home way before curfew time. The father says, ah, sometimes my daughters fuss at my approach, but they know I cherish them. And my hope is one day they will marry a man who also cherishes them. There are some things we must cherish in life. Is your relationship to God one of the things you cherish? A third lesson. Sometimes we need a challenge. Jesus confronted the rich young man with a great challenge. He said, stop focusing on respectability. Stop focusing on not doing wrong and do something positive. Do something good. Let go of some of your possessions and then use that money to help someone. If you'll do that, you will discover real happiness and you will discover eternal life. Now, the young man had not done anything wrong. He hadn't stolen anything. He had not defrauded anyone. There's no evidence that he had gained his wealth by unscrupulous methods. But he simply couldn't compel himself to do something good and positive for the benefit of anyone else. Now what about us? How do we respond to God's challenge in our lives? Do we want the blessing of God so much we're willing to let go of some of these other things that tend to distract us? James Moore tells the story of a young man who grew up in his church in Houston. The young man's name was Toby, and in high school, Toby wrote an essay on hunger in the world. And he won a, a competition, and he was awarded a two-and-a-half-week study trip to Africa through World Vision. So Toby was with World Vision volunteers in Ethiopia, and he was amazed at the beauty of the country, but also amazed at the rampant poverty. And they were giving out food and supplies, and they were about to wrap up and about ready to leave. An 11-year-old boy came up and tapped Toby on the shoulder, and he asked if he could have Toby's shirt. Just a t-shirt. Toby looked at the young boy, and, and his shirt was worn and dirty, had holes in it, but his luggage was way far away. He wouldn't be able to get back to it until that night. And it would mean if he gave his shirt away, he would be in the hot African sun all day without a shirt. And so he quickly said no and got back on the bus. And they headed out. But that encounter troubled Toby for the rest of the trip. He could not get that boy off his mind. So when he got back home, he started a campaign to collect 
t-shirts. He called it, give the shirt off your back. He went door to door. He got several 7-Eleven convenience stores to put out bins with signs so people could donate there. And before he knew it, Toby had collected 10,000 t-shirts. Now he had to figure out how to get it to Ethiopia. How do you ship two tons of t-shirts to a foreign country? He called many nonprofit, many mission agencies, and nobody could or would do it for him. He finally called uh, UPS and asked, well, what would it cost if I just shipped it? It would cost $65,000. That wasn't an option. Finally, he found an organization devoted to sub-Sahara Africa. And they were actually taking a shipment of supplies, and they were more than happy to take Toby's t-shirts, there was only one thing they wanted to make sure Toby knew. They weren't going to any other countries. Only one country. Was it okay if his t-shirts went to Ethiopia? He said, absolutely. And then he began to pray that that little boy would get one of his shirts. Sometimes we have to take a risk of compassion. And when we do that, we may discover God's greatest blessing. Fourth lesson. Sometimes we do not want enough. Has it ever occurred to you that while we are focused on acquiring material things, we are missing out on some of the very best stuff life has to offer? If all we want to get out of life is the acquiring of material stuff, then we don't want enough out of life. We have set the bar way too low. The rich young man in today's biblical story turned away in sorrow because he had many possessions and he clearly loved his stuff more than he wanted to receive the blessing of Christ. Aren't there many people in our culture today who face this same challenge? We have allowed society to convince us to chase after the wrong prize. And we rationalize it because we convince ourselves we can have it all. We can go after all the material wealth in the world and we can still have a close relationship to God. But the reality is, when you say yes to one thing, you inexplicably also have to say no to three or four other things. You think that truth is lost in our culture today? If I say yes to working 70 hours a week, I'm saying no to my family. If I say yes to cheating on my taxes, I'm saying no to honor and integrity. If I say yes to making financial goals the top priority in my life, I'm saying no to the priority that God wants to be. 
You see, when we say yes to one thing, we also must say no to several other things. John Ortberg tells a story about a young woman graduated from high school and he went to college and after a year she dropped out. It just this wasn't for her. She had a, a struggle going on inside her, but her parents didn't know what was going on. And so she told them, well, I'm going to go live in Hawaii for a year. So parents and grandparents are worried and they keep getting in her ear and telling her now, don't forget about an education. You need an education to get by in the world today. So she went and lived in Hawaii for a year and loved every minute of it, came back, and after a few weeks, she went to live at, uh, in Lake Tahoe where they have great skiing. And, and she loved that too. And Parents and grandparents are getting more anxious. They're telling her, now you're 22 now. You can't put college off forever. You need to get an education. What they didn't know was she was trying to find God. Her father was a minister. It wasn't that she didn't believe in God. She just didn't know God. And she certainly didn't understand God's love for her. And she was trying to find God in all these places. Finally, one day, she called mom and dad and said, I'm going to Africa. They're like, what? Why are you going to Africa? She said, I need to go and I need to, I need to serve. And there's a, a mercy ship has been, is going to be docked in South Africa for the next five months. And I'm going to go and be a volunteer. They said, well, how are you going to pay for it? She said, well, I've been saving money and I'm going to send some letters to friends and family and get support. And in two months, she had the support she needed. She went to serve on the mercy ships docked in South Africa, she and a group of other volunteers became the first white people to live in a shanty town near where Mercy Ships was docked. And I want to read to you something she wrote at the end of her time there. It was around midnight, and my friend Carolyn and I were sitting on top of a jungle gym talking about how quickly our time in South Africa had gone. The moon was shining through a thin slice of clouds, and the stars were shining almost as brightly as they do in my hometown. The wind was blowing some eucalyptus trees, and Carolyn and I were bundled up in sweatshirts and dirt-covered skirts. I have fallen in love, I told Carolyn. I've fallen in love, and I'm never falling out. I will never forget that night. The trees, the wind, the smells... I had broken out of my eggshell, emerged from my cocoon, and I was ready to tell the world that I had fallen in love. I had found what I was looking for, and when I found God, I knew He had moved. He hadn't been lost at all. He just embraced me and said, Thank you, thank you. I have loved you all along, Jill. All this time, I loved you first. What an amazing experience that was. John Ortberg tells that story about a young girl, and it's his daughter. The passage after the biblical story I read this morning says it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I have served on mission trips in the inner city of South Brooklyn, New York, in the inner city of East L.A., where we would sleep at night and hear the gunfire in the streets. I have served in Guatemala and Honduras 
Nicaragua, Belize, India. I served on the Navajo Indian Reservation and the Sioux Reservation in Nebraska. And I want to tell you, there's not a single person here that God does not think is wealthy. So may we find the courage to lay up our treasures in heaven and not on earth. Let us pray. Gracious God, it is a great challenge to be faithful to You when we live in such an abundant culture. Help us that we might desire a relationship with You more than we desire the material things of this world. May we know the blessing of communing with You in an intimate way. We ask all these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Christian Church of Van Alstine, Disciples of Christ. We are located in Van Alstine, Texas at 274 South Waco Street. If you would like to contact us, our office number is 903-482-5515 and email us at fccvanalstein at gmail.com Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.50 a.m. Day school at 9.45 a.m. For more information, you can visit us at fccvatx.org or find us on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and may God bless you.